Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. On Monday, California, Arizona, and Nevada reached a historic deal to significantly reduce their water use from the Colorado River over the next three years. The agreement comes after the seven western states that depend the river had failed to negotiate a deal during the last year, and after the Biden administration threatened to impose first-ever water delivery cuts on the states. The Colorado River provides water to 40 million people, and it's in the midst of a 23-year drought that has shriveled its flows by 20%. Hotter, drier conditions fueled by climate change are expected to reduce supplies even more in the coming years as the planet continues to warm. So today, Politico's Annie Snyder breaks down the timeline and impact of the deal and the questions that remain. It's Tuesday, May 23rd. So the three states that share the lower Colorado River agreed to 3 million acre feet of cuts over the next three years, between now and 2026. That's roughly 13% of their allocation. And it would be just covering this timeline for the next few years. And this would be in exchange for a little more than a billion dollars of federal compensation. Wow. And so we've talked about the stakes of these negotiations before on the podcast, but just remind us why this deal is so significant. And as you wrote, precedent setting for all seven states that depend on the river. Yeah, well, so the Colorado River is by far the West's most important river. It supports 40 million people, 30 tribes, five and a half million acres of irrigated agriculture. So what happens on the river is hugely consequential, and climate change is really significantly shrinking its flows to the point that we, in the past year, saw projections that could have water levels at the system's two biggest reservoirs falling dangerously close to the point where hydropower production would cut out and where downstream deliveries could be in endangered. And so when we were seeing those projections last summer and last fall, the federal government, the Biden administration, gave the states an ultimatum. They said they had to find a way to conserve a massive quantity of water to try and head off that disaster. Now, circumstances have changed. We had a very wet winter this year, and we're seeing above average inflows projected for the reservoirs. And so the urgency of this has come down a little bit. But the fundamental problems with overuse on the river and the shrinking of flows due to climate change remain. And so this deal is meant to be a patch that sort of gets us to 2026, when new rules governing the river in this new era, the next de- the coming decades as climate change sets in, have to be online. Got it. And we know the states have been negotiating for nearly a year now, as you said, and the Biden administration was gearing up to really get involved here. So how did this get done and why now? Yeah, so the Biden administration has made a couple of threats throughout this process. There was the ultimatum that came from the Reclamation Commissioner last June. There was the deadline in August, which the states blew past. And then there was a deadline at the end of January for the states to come up with a proposal. Each of those times, the states failed to come up with an agreement. And so in April, the Biden administration put some real teeth behind this threat of acting unilaterally. They launched the environmental review process that was intended to 
sort of shore up their legal authority to unilaterally impose cuts on the states if the states couldn't come up with a deal. And that really was the fuel behind these negotiations. I think the states had been negotiating for nearly a year, but this threat becoming a real possibility was something that drove the states back to the table more seriously. And that, of course, combined with this much wetter winter that made things a lot easier and big pots of money that were made available through the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law were enough to get the states to a deal now. Right. And to get more into the Biden administration side of things, you're reporting the administration isn't giving up its push to shore up its legal authorities even after this deal. So why is that and what sort of questions remain moving forward? Yes. So the Biden administration is not abandoning this environmental review process. What they've said is that they're sort of going to pause it. They're going to go back. They're going to withdraw the environmental analysis that they put out last month, which, as a reminder, had sort of contemplated two different approaches to making unilateral cuts, both of which were seen as highly unpalatable by the states. So they're going to withdraw that one and go back and do a new one that now takes into account this proposal from the states. So they are not giving up the environmental review process, but they are going to be changing it and it's probably going to take a little longer now. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. One, it would continue to shore up the federal government's authority to act should the states not follow through on the voluntary agreements that are being contemplated here, or should additional cuts be needed if the hydrology sort of turns more dire in these next few years. The other reason that this is important is because this agreement or this tentative agreement, the states are saying, don't call it a deal yet. It's not done. But this agreement is something that would have to be enacted by the federal government, even if it is just the replica of what the states are proposing here. And that gets a little bit complicated, but it has to do in particular with the state of Arizona, which has a law on the books that says that any deal that the state itself was signing off on would have to go through the legislature. And that gets extremely complicated politically. And so the expectation is that Even if this exact deal that the states are contemplating here is what comes to pass, it would need to be enacted through an action of the federal government, and that would require this environmental review process. Also, Senate Environment and Public Works Chair Tom Carper, a Democrat from Delaware, announced on Monday he will not run for re-election. Carper is leaving behind an environmental legacy that spanned more than 20 years, including playing a key role in the passage of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act. The senator threw his support for a successor behind his former staffer, Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester, a current member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, if she decides to run for the seat. Carper said he will use the remainder of his term to push forward bipartisan legislation to enact reform for the nation's energy permitting process. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.